From the University of Colorado Boulder in the Rocky Mountains, this is See You at the Libraries, where information becomes knowledge through storytelling. I'm Mark Losey, Outreach Coordinator with the University Libraries. When you think of librarians, you think of the people ready to answer your reference questions, visit and instruct your classes, help you locate source materials, and curate collections you rely on. What I do is mostly considered public services. Who you just heard here is Alex Watkins, Art and Architecture Librarian at CU Boulder. Alex relies on catalogers like Chris Long, whose work has a huge impact on how all of us use the libraries. Catalogers are the behind-the-scenes librarians who work to make books and resources easier for us to find using search tools. Basically, we describe resources that the libraries have or have access to. On this episode of See with the Libraries, Alex and Chris talk about the effort that goes into the partnership between subject librarians and catalogers. They'll debunk stereotypes and dive into topics like why it's so hard to make changes to classification systems, a hot button issue in the world of library science. Thanks for tuning in and stay with us. This work is really mutually informing and pretty relatively rare that it's done completely separately and disconnected. For me, right, my collection building, so purchasing and selecting the books that we put into the collection, helping make sure that we select the best books and the materials that are going to be the most useful is informed by my work teaching and working with students and working with faculty on their research because I know what's being taught, what's being used, what people are looking at, what people want. And so I really couldn't do the collection work in the kind of response that I'd like to if I wasn't working with the university community. So collection building, I think, has a pretty clear connection to public services. I don't think we always think about the work that goes into cataloging and making those materials findable in the catalog, but I think also understanding that helps me teach people how to use our system. So being able to understand the subject heading is really important in order to teach students to search our catalog because subject headings are a key tool in order to help people find things on topics that might be described using different words by different sources. So I don't know, Chris, you've done public services before. How does that work inform your cataloging or your work leading catalogers? Well, I found that the public services work really informed my cataloging and helped improve it. I've always encouraged catalogers that if they have the opportunity to work on the reference desk or in some sort of public services role, because it's much different when you're trying to provide the best access in your catalog records. It's different if you're just sitting at your desk in isolation than if someone from the public needs something immediately. And so that helped me early in my career just try to make my catalog records as easily findable as possible. There's sort of a stereotype of catalogers of being really fastidious and rule-bound. Cataloging have really specific and technical rules, but what you just said about actually making your entries more findable based on the needs of actual people is that sometimes the best way to make a resource findable is to bend those sort of strict cataloging rules. And that flexibility is actually a really important trait of catalogers. What are your thoughts about that? No, I, I agree completely. We do have the sort of stereotype of maybe being too wedded to our rules and our standards. And there's value in those standards because when we catalog something, we don't just catalog it for our library. We're basically cataloging it for the world since we put it into the OCLC WorldCat database. So by adhering to standards, that makes our work more easily usable by other libraries. 
so that we all don't have to catalog every single thing we get in the libraries. There were a lot of stereotypes back and forth between technical services and public services librarians. That was certainly a hot button item when I was a younger librarian. When you were in library school or in your career so far, have you heard of any stereotypes about catalogers that you found to be true? That I found to be true. Now, I don't know if I found them to be true necessarily. I think there's some stereotypes about the kind of work, you know, that it's boring and exacting and if you don't see other people. But I guess I do actually know a lot of catalogers and I've hung out with a lot of catalogers and they like to party. So I think any kind of stereotype about what catalogers' personalities are like is maybe incorrect. So earlier in my career, one of the stereotypes or frustrations that catalogers had with public services people was that other reference librarians, they don't know how to use the catalog. They don't want to learn how to use the catalog. They want to do keyword searching on everything. They don't want to teach the public how to use the catalog. And I found some of that to be true, but then I realized it's mainly because the catalogs are so hard to use, you know, and we can't use them optimally. My work and cataloging things has been conflated with, like, I also have ownership of how the catalog system works. And it's like, well, I didn't buy the catalog system. I'm trying to use it to the best of my ability, but I have limited ability to, you know, change how the cataloging system works. So I always make a distinction. I'm in charge of the cataloging, but I'm not necessarily in charge of the catalog. And I think a lot of that has changed with the new systems, you know, where we can do a more Google-like search and still find relevant things. So I realized that, you know, while something may have been true, it's really because our systems weren't up to snuff. I think that is true. I've had catalogers ask me, like, why don't I teach how subject headings are created? And it's like, well, because that's too hard, right? I think we need to think more about how we can make our systems more usable, right? I don't train people how to use catalogs. I teach people how to think about information and how to think about evaluating that information to engage in thinking about who has authority and why to think about information access and information privilege. I don't have time to train people how to use a hard-to-navigate system. The system's job is to be usable. It's my dream that the system is so usable, I don't even need to tell someone what buttons to click and how to navigate our catalog because it's just so intuitive that I could spend no time covering those things and instead train people on concepts and then show them the database. And then they're just like, wow, this is so easy and good to use. I think I'll use it all the time because it's not hard. I know that we're part of the program for cooperative cataloging and that, you know, our records go into a database. We provide catalog records to the rest of the world and then other people can use them. WorldCat is basically a giant catalog of catalog records. There's tens of thousands of libraries worldwide that use that database. You can share the ones your library creates and you can also take the ones that other libraries have contributed. Every library is more of a taker than a giver, but everything you contribute to that catalog record helps other libraries. So there's hundreds of millions of records. And so when we catalog something originally, that makes it visible to other libraries in the world, not only for the catalogers who might also have that item, 
and they can take our catalog record and put it in their local system. But WorldCat's also a discovery tool. So people can see that we have this item and ask for access to it. I know there's a lot of resources that go into maintaining membership in the program for cooperative cataloging. And what is, I guess, the value of doing that? So the value of the program for cooperative cataloging is those records are considered gold standard records on par with the Library of Congress records, which typically are considered gold standard records, which means that another library can comfortably accept those catalog records without having to review too many of the points of the catalog record itself. Can you tell me more about how our records get shared out and how much they get used and how important they are? It's hard for us. We don't really track how many other libraries use our records. I will say the portion of the cataloging that we do every year that's original cataloging, which are things that no one else has put into the OCLC WorldCat database yet, it's probably less than 5%. But we have so many unique collections, and our special collections, our government documents. So the ones we do put in, I think, are valuable because we're exposing really unique things to the rest of the world. You're listening to Alex Watkins and Chris Long discuss the relationship between catalogers and subject librarians on CU at the Libraries, where information becomes knowledge through storytelling. Coming up, Alex and Chris get into social justice initiatives in catalog naming through the Library of Congress classification system and the effort that goes into making changes to problematic subject headings. But first, if you enjoy everything you've heard on this show, consider giving to the Dean's Endowment Fund. Your donation can help us digitize more of the diverse collections from our archives or engage students with innovative resources. Join us in leading the way to an information-empowered world. Just go to bit.ly forward slash support CU Boulder Libraries. Thank you so much. When I talk to students, one way to actually get them engaged with call numbers and subject headings is to get them very mad about call numbers and subject headings. And the way to do that is to sort of discuss the way that subject headings are biased. And there's a lot of different ways that this happens from outdated terminology to, say, having a category, like the default category is fraternities, and then you have like sororities see fraternities. So there's this privilege to be unmarked, right, to be the one that doesn't need an appendage on it. And that's sort of that default of white male in the catalog. And so sort of point those things out to students. And then they always ask me, well, then what can we do to change it? What's happening to change this? And I have to say, I don't know. I think catalogers recognize all the bias, discriminatory language in our subject heading systems, even in the Dewey Decimal Classification System. The problem is, what can we do about it? One approach has been to try to actually propose alternative headings to the Library of Congress. The Library of Congress is very conservative in changing that for political reasons and also for practical reasons, because if you change a heading, then you have to change all the records that have that heading. So that becomes a very difficult proposition within an individual library. And then think about WorldCat. If you make a change in the OCLC record, now tens of thousands of libraries have a catalog record that's not current. So everyone recognizes the problem. The approach of changing the headings doesn't look very promising. So now we've been focusing on what can we do locally in our catalog. 
Yes. We do have a process for the illegal alien subject heading and sort of related headings. So that addresses maybe that particular heading, but there's hundreds, maybe thousands of other headings. So how do we tackle that? We are basically reacting. We have tens of thousands of records that come in that we didn't create. So it becomes a practical problem. Okay, how do we manipulate all those hundreds of thousands of records coming in? That's something that we're grappling with. So I'm hoping that at some point we can come up with some solutions, or maybe it becomes a, where you can't do it for everything, but you target a collection or you target a type of material or something. So one of the things that I think is the most problematic for me is the E99 Library of Congress call number. And so the Library of Congress call numbers are controlled numbers that we apply to books in order to arrange them by subject in our collection and make them findable on the shelf. And E99 is the Library of Congress call number for Native American tribes. And there's a couple issues in the E99 section. First of all, E99, that means Native American tribes. And then the next letter after that denotes the tribe. And it's usually a letter and a number. And so it'll be like C for Cherokee. But a lot of the letters actually don't use the preferred name of the tribe. They use the name that was applied by colonialists. They use the French name or they use the English name for the tribe and they don't actually use the culture's preferred name. But then after that, so all the books on the Cherokee are in one section in that E99C7 or whatever. I forget what it is. But within that, they're not organized by subject. They're organized by the author's last name. So the next cutter after that immediately is the author's last name. So that means it's like art and then folklore and then medicine. And then there's no way to actually grapple with a tribe. And it's also really problematic because those author's last names, those are mostly white authors who are writing about Native American tribes. So it's actually organized first by the settler colonialist's name rather than the actual topic that is important to researching the tribe. And so it makes browsing, say, the Cherokee section impossible because you'll see art here and then you'll see food right next to it. And then there's another art book because it was written by someone with a W for the last name. It's a big problem in Native American research. So you're looking for a more granular classification of topics within indigenous people, Native American tribe or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that does exist for some tribes, like the Maya and the Aztecs, but a lot of the like North American tribes that you described, I don't think it does exist. So you're right. It all sort of gets lumped together. So can I change that? No. But can we work to work that into the cultural cataloging conversation? Possibly, because there is a lot of work being done with indigenous people in the cultural cataloging community. So maybe that is an area where there might be some change. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two qualities of concern, right? There's also the fact that, say, any kind of Native American knowledge or indigenous knowledge is classified in E, which is a history section, even though these are living cultures. And so Native American medicine is in E rather than R, which is medicine. And Native American art is in E rather than N, which is fine arts. There's also this sort of lumping together of Native American knowledge in history rather than sort of placing it in the call number where it actually belongs, which is another separate issue. So the Library of Congress controls the Library of Congress subject heading system, and they also control the Library of Congress classification system. And if you want to propose a new subject heading or suggest a revision to an existing one, same thing for classification number, you can send in a proposal. Those are reviewed by the people at the Library of Congress, and they're very conservative in what they change. 
for both political and practical reasons. Uh, a case in point is the illegal alien subject heading. When that was changed, there was a giant political furor that came out of that in Congress. And the Library of Congress had to rescind that change. Yeah. And I'd say also, probably for what I'm asking, is that that knowledge organization work hasn't been done, right? Like, you can't just say, take a book and be like, well, we're going to divide these into subject categories if no one has done the work to make those categories, right? Like, someone would have to come up with a defined list of those subcategorizations that we would divide the work on Indigenous tribes. And it could be done, but it would take a long time and a lot of people power and the ability to sort of invest in creating that, right? If the Library of Congress did it, it would be a lot easier. But if we were to do all that work, we'd really only be able to apply it locally. You'd have to find topics that were common so that you could apply it theoretically across every tribe. Yeah. So, hey, thanks, Alex. It's been great having this conversation. You definitely have affirmed my work and also given me some challenging things to think about. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, it was a great conversation. I think what stood out to me is just the sheer amount of cataloging that we do and the work that goes into it and the thought that makes finding our books possible. That was Alex Watkins and Chris Long sharing their thoughts on the challenges and social justice-inspired calls to make changes to the classification systems in libraries. For more information about the topics we discussed in this episode, go to colorado.edu forward slash libraries. The University of Colorado's four campuses have remarkable researchers who are on the leading edge of exploration and change, whether through environmental or business studies or through healthcare advances and space exploration. CU's impact reaches throughout Colorado far into the solar system. Do you know of an exceptional faculty member who you'd suggest for CU on the air? Email ontheair at cu.edu. That's ontheair at cu.edu. Claire Woodcock produced this episode. I edited this episode. Student Nikhil Thapa composed the theme music. Special thanks to Alex Watkins, Chris Long, and Carolyn Moreau for consulting on this episode. I'm Mark Losey. Thanks so much for tuning in. We can't wait to see you at the libraries.